Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis, joined as always by Drew Lerner. And today is a special episode because we have another guest joining us. It's the MLS and soccer analyst Taylor Twelman of Apple TV Plus, formerly of ESPN. We'll have a wide-ranging conversation with him, uh, and uh, that's something to look forward to. We'll start, though, with our usual ratings analysis, and it was a big weekend, of course, in college basketball. The NCAA Elite Eight on the men's and women's side. The men's side, obviously, uh, just not the usual teams. Very unusual teams this time around. Uh, And so the viewership, as one would expect, down across the board. FAU Kansas State was down only 1%. The other games were down much much more steeply than that. Uh, Miami-Texas led the way, obviously, in the late window on Sunday. That's one of the top windows for basketball every year. Uh, Over 11 million viewers, not far off of some of last year's NBA Finals games or Kansas Villanova in the Final Four last year, albeit on TBS. Uh, So not a bad number, but certainly one of the lowest numbers in that window that you'll see. That's a window that was getting 16, 17 million, 15 million a few years ago before out of home. So uh, with out of home included, you're only at 11.3 million. That's just not what uh, what that window normally produces. Creighton, San Diego State at 8.3 million. That's the lowest in a few years as well. As for the Saturday games, I mentioned FAU Kansas State before was down just 1%, but uh, UConn and Zaga was down further, and it was actually the least watched in that late Saturday window as far back as I have records for. So uh, not a great weekend, but it is to be expected. You have unusual teams, and then the two relative blue bloods you have, it was a 30-point route. The women did quite well. It was a a heck of a weekend for the women. We know that the women's tournament doesn't draw the same way that the men's draws. So, you know, we're talking about 7 million is not very good for the men. Well, 2.5 million is excellent for the women. And one of the biggest numbers that you'll see, they had over 2 million for two games, which is, I didn't even know the last time outside of the final four that you had two games, well over 2 million for the women's tournament, 2.5 million for Louisville, Iowa, Sunday night on ESPN, 2.4 million for Ohio State's upset of UConn Saturday on ABC. Again, these numbers don't compare to what the men's tournament can draw, but they are really good numbers. Like ESPN is not typically getting 2.5 million viewers on a Sunday night. Uh, you know, 1.89 million as well for Miami LSU leading in. So 1.89 million and 2.5 million. There's not a lot of NBA doubleheaders on ESPN this year that have had that kind of number. Uh, and uh, Sunday night baseball, maybe once this season, we'll get to that. I, I'm not even sure ESPN will have a more watched Sunday night in baseball this entire season than what they just had uh, this past Sunday. And that's why the women's tournament is so valuable. I know there's a lot of skeptics out there who think, you know, people are just trying to be politically correct or whatever. These are good numbers. They may not be as good as what the men are drawing, but they are objectively good numbers. And ESPN has to be very pleased. I'm quite sure I didn't check, but I'm quite sure ESPN won Sunday night. Let me just uh, quickly take a look here. 
Uh, ESPN uh, did not win Sunday night, uh, obviously, because of the men's tournament. That would be the top uh, game. But if you take the men's tournament out, uh, let me see here, 60 minutes. So there you go. 60 minutes. The men's tournament gave 60 minutes the win on Sunday. So it didn't win in the demos like I thought it might. But still, ESPN certainly um, comfortably, uh, you know, uh, drawing the best numbers of the night on cable. So that is certainly uh, valuable. Also Sunday night, uh, pretty good numbers for the NBA on NBA TV, 687,000 for T-Wolves Warriors. For NBA TV, that's a darn good number for them, I think even a season high. But uh, outside of basketball, the big story in the rating side is the XFL and getting back on ABC for the first time since week one. They got a million viewers for the first time since week one. The XFL last week didn't have a single game over 320,000. This week, 1.05 million for the Saturday game leading into the women's tournament, and then 753,000 for the Sunday game. More than respectable. Those are solid numbers. Who knew broadcast TV matters? You know, when you have a deal with ESPN, you don't really have a broadcast TV partner because ESPN puts things on ABC grudgingly. And that's why the USFL has an advantage. It's an advantage for the USFL to be on Fox and NBC. Uh, those are outlets that actually value their broadcast television arm. ESPN, it's always grudging with ESPN and when it comes to ABC. But ABC is where the viewers are. It's broadcast TV. And the last I checked, ESPN was what, 75 million homes, something like that. It's just a broader audience uh, when you go to broadcast, which is obvious. That's been the way TV's always been. Uh, Drew, I'll go ahead and bring you in now. Yeah, great, great rundown on the ratings as always, John. Um, I think the main story for me is is this men's tournament. Um, like you said, obviously do not have the blue bloods that that really draw viewership. But even beyond that, if you look at the four teams left, you know Miami, San Diego State, FAU, and UConn. They don't even really have stars on the team individually, right? So you may maybe you have you know Adama Sonogo for UConn or Isaiah Wong for Miami, but those guys are not driving viewership, right? They might be the two best individual players left in the tournament, but they're not, you know, garnering any eyeballs. No. And then you have FAU and San Diego State, which you know those are teams where it's just well, they truly are teams, you know, they have a bunch of guys that are averaging 10 points a game and they, and they win by distributing the ball. So it, it's really going to be a challenge for, for any sort of narrative building on the men's side for the final four this year. Well, it's, it's the worst, you know, case other than the tournament not happening at all. Now that was the worst case. Uh, but uh, certainly if you're CBS, I mean, you wanted Kansas state in there, there may not be one of the traditional draws, but they have this star, you know, player. They have Keontae Johnson's story as well. They played an entertaining brand of basketball. You wanted Kansas State in there. You certainly wanted Alabama and Houston in there. Houston for the Nance story and the fact that Houston is hosting the tournament. And then Alabama, it's a lot of negativity and a lot of ugliness there with Alabama. But it's Alabama, for goodness sake. I mean, I know Alabama basketball doesn't draw, obviously, like Alabama football does. But that's a well-known brand. Kansas State and Alabama probably would have played each other. So they, I don't think both of them would have made it. Am I right about that? Were they on the same side? Oh, uh, gosh. It, I'm thinking, I'm going to think too far back yeah. now, John. Let's see. San Diego State beat Creighton. Creighton beat 
Princeton. I think they actually know they could have no, had, yeah. yeah, it could have been Kansas state, Alabama and Houston all in the final four together. And that I think would have been okay. As it is, you just don't have the storylines and uh, the numbers aren't going to be horrible. It's not going to be like the NBA finals in the bubble. It's not going to be like that. It's still going to resemble some semblance of normal, but it's going to be on the lower end and probably uh, two of the least watched uh, that we've seen, maybe under 10 million even for the first uh, half of that. Conversely, on the women's side, it's yep. chock full of storylines and stars. You have yep. South Carolina undefeated, Don Staley, huge draw. You have Iowa, Caitlin Clark, huge draw. And then you have LSU with uh, Angel Reese. And Virginia Tech with uh, you know, Elizabeth Kitley and Georgia Amor, who have yeah. been rising stars this tournament. So there's a lot going for the women's tournament. I would pr- probably expect that that to break ratings records. I don't know yeah. what you think about that, John, but it, that is about as much star power as you could ask for on that side. Well, this is the first time that I can remember where the women had a demonstrably stronger field in the Final Four than the men. Because, you know, for many years, it was the UConn Invitational. There were some bad teams that made it. You know, there was cannon fodder for for UConn. There was a year, I think, Syracuse and Oregon State played in the Final Four on the women's side, and they were not having great seasons, right? So, you know, this is the first time that I can remember where, I mean, you got to be envious if you're the men looking at what the women have. Uh, Those storylines are amazing. And they were amazing in the Elite Eight, too. You had stars. Uh, that 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 lost in the elite eight so it's uh, been the strongest that the women's tournament has been UConn's absence will not be felt I am confident about that uh, they have more than enough to make up for UConn not being there and uh, there's a lot of pr- prognostication that the Friday semifinal will set a record I don't know that it'll set a record period because you know you had over five million for the final in some years back in the early 2000s but I think it'll be the most watched semifinal in quite some time and uh, it's a milestone because, you know, there's going to be that contrast. You're going to have the people with their headlines saying women's final four sets ratings record, men's final four hits ratings low. It's pre-written, basically. And that's probably how it's going to play out. Yeah, I can I can see those headlines already on my Twitter feed. Just Just have to manifest them now. Yeah. All right. Well, we've discussed the ratings and now it is time to get to the main event. Our interview this week with Taylor Twelman of Apple TV Plus, the MLS analyst, goes in depth on topics related to the league, soccer in general, his own career. And he's joined by, of course, me and Drew, but also Adam Gostomelski, who has done some work for the site. I'm sure if you've read SMW, you've read Adam's work lately. And he is a former soccer player collegiately and now a coach collegiately as well. So he has a lot of very, uh, you know, uh, knowledgeable uh, questions for for Taylor Tolman as well. This is a fairly long interview. So this is a longer episode than we've done recently. Uh, but uh, all in all, should be about maybe a full hour for this podcast. So we're not taking too much of your time, but uh, hopefully the time will fly by because it sure did when we were interviewing him. Here is our interview with Taylor Twelman. So today we are very thrilled to be joined by one of the most prominent soccer broadcasters in the United States, Taylor Twelman, formerly of ESPN, now of Apple TV+. And uh, this is the first year of the MLS 
10-year rights deal with Apple. It's a very unique deal. Apple owns the rights to all MLS coverage. And uh, even though games will still be available on Fox, those games will be on Apple. So Fox does not have exclusivity like the ESPN and Fox did in, in previous deals. So this is a very unique deal. A uh, very experimental, maybe a model for the future. We don't know yet. It depends. We are, after all, only in year one. But we are joined today by Taylor. And uh, thanks so much uh, for joining us. We really appreciate uh, having you here. I guess I'll just start off by asking, you worked for years at ESPN. You're now at Apple. And Apple, its investment in MLS is obviously going to be greater because of the nature of this deal than what ESPN's was. Mm -hmm. So what are the differences that you've seen just in your first month or so working for Apple as compared to ESPN when it comes to soccer coverage? Uh, it's a good question, John. And obviously we don't have about five hours to dissect it, but I think first and foremost, I don't think Apple is in the conversation with MLS, if not for ESPN's commitment to grow the domestic game for over the last 25 plus years, whether it's, with the U.S. national team products, and then obviously Major League Soccer and its inception in 96. So ESPN took it the whole way and took it to this point, part. Where Apple is different is they have the same energy, aspirations, goals, all those buzzwords you wanna to use to take Major League Soccer to the next level. They themselves, want to get into sports broadcasting and provide sports content on their platforms. And they want to also kind of build something and take something to the next level so they can feel like they're part of that growth. And that's where the, I think, natural connection between Major League Soccer and Apple came. I think that's why they pursued it. Uh, the differences you guys have seen through the first four or five weeks whether it's cameras, audio equipment, that kind of resources. Obviously, the uh, the studio that's in New York City is is second to none, something this league's never really seen on that level. So uh, it, that stuff is there. But it's also, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, um, and there's a lot of room for growth. Uh, and I think that's the most exciting part of this whole equation is you've started at a baseline over the first four, six weeks here, and this is a 10-year project. What is this going to look like next year? What is this going to look like three years down the road, seven years down the road? I think that's where all of us that have been in this business and in this league for over 20 years are really excited and intrigued. Is there any concern about just not being on regular TV as much, not having that ESPN promotional arm? Uh, you have the Fox side of it. Fox does have, I think, a game a week, but... It is still mostly off of linear TV. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone with a half a brain, John, is going to be concerned on some level because, you know, that 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 saying out of sight, out of mind. And yet, um, I was one of those. And I say, and yet in the part of when you see the metrics of this country and you see the, the dynamics of how people are watching television and then you look at the demographic of the major league soccer fan, it's not that big of a risk. You also can make a legitimate argument when you look at the linear package for over the last six or seven years, the numbers never really changed, John. And so 
I, I, I often wondered, well, wait a minute, what's the next level of growth? I think with local television and the uncertainty with Valley Sports and where that's going to go, if I'm not mistaken, that would have been six to eight MLS teams currently that would have not had a place to see their games locally. So you got to tip your cap to Major League Soccer and Don Garber of also saying, wait a minute here, we need to read the tea leaves. This thing's changing. The media landscape's changing. I mean, look at the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, I mean, there's monumental eight-figure numbers of they're going to lose with coming off of Valley Sports. So I, I just think the sports media landscape is ever-changing and changing at a high rate. I don't think it's just a soccer question. I think it's everything other than the NFL. I think everyone's concerned about what the next step is. Hey, Taylor. Um, first off, I'm glad I have a Maryland Terrapin legend here uh, on the podcast. That a boy. That a boy. <laughs> so I had to get that out of the way. Um, I do think it makes a lot of sense what you say, the, the demographic overlap between Apple and uh, linear TV, you know, there's not really much there for, for MLS on linear TV. I do think it makes a lot of sense that people that already were MLS fans will go and pay that $15 a month. Where I kind of see the criticism is the growth of new fans, right? That $15 a month barrier to entry for Apple TV Plus or for the MLS season pass. It seems like that's a large barrier for fans that are new to the league. To, to overcome and start watching mm -hmm. games. Um, does this mean the onus is maybe on the MLS to kind of improve their talent, keep keep developing talent in order to grow that audience? Or what are they supposed to do in order to get people over that hurdle? Well, Drew, first off, thank you for putting me in the company of a uh, chirp legend, as you said, self-proclaimed. <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> I, it's a... It's a good question, Drew. Here's the thing, though. We are being disingenuous to not mention that 50 games are free over the air on Apple TV, right? And so you don't have to have Apple TV Plus to watch games. There are five games every week that are in front of the paywall. And the reason why I tell you that is that's actually no difference. It's actually more free content than what ESPN and ESPN Plus were providing you. So you've got the Fox game, and then you've got the four to five games a week that are in front of the paywall. That is the exact same number. Actually, it's a little bit more than the ESPN number, if you really want to get into the weeds, of free games. So if the new fan is interested in Major League Soccer, they're absolutely going to go to Apple TV, and they can watch the game. They can watch the game of the week that is on Fox, and then the four to five other games that are free. So it's not as if they can't watch. Now, the argument of what you're saying is to watch your team, to watch the local team, because this is now a global product in over 105 countries where it's no longer th that's the case anymore. And my argument is this. My argument has always been Major League Soccer fan has always asked for more, wanted more, deserved more, and they never got it. They didn't get pregames. They didn't get postgames. Not in all markets. Some did. Seattle's, Portland's, uh, New England, you know, Atlanta. Some of these markets treated it with real respect locally, but over 70% of the teams in MLS locally, the game came on for two hours and it was gone. ESPN, we didn't do a pregame show. We didn't do a postgame show. You came on, 
And in 90 minutes plus, I had to sell the league, not just the game we were doing, because that was the only time you got in content at ESPN. So you're paying a number and the number's high. I get that. But you're getting exponentially more content regarding your MLS team than you ever have. And, And we, as a company and as an asset, we're just at the beginning. Like, I'd be shocked if they're at some next level. There isn't a daily show. There isn't content during the week. Like, we're not even there yet, Drew. You know what I mean? So uh, I understand the conversation, and I am 100% uh, of the camp. It's a legitimate question. Is the number too high? What are you getting for that? I just think it's disingenuous when we all say, well, you got to pay that to get MLS. No, No, you don't. No, you don't. We are giving you four to five games in front of the paywall every single week. That's more than you got at ESPN Plus. That's more than you got at ESPN. And you get the Fox game. You follow where I'm going. So, like, it's more free content than what we had in the past. But what you're paying for is actually real conversations, content, and, and actually MLS content, which was never on air in which never was there. So that that's where I think the conversation needs to really be had because it's just right now on the surface level and on the macro level saying, well, I got to pay this to see my team play. Well, hold on. Do you, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? So um, I, I just think, listen, Apple does subscriptions for a living. I don't. All I do is talk for a living and provide the content. And I think that is where Apple if, if it works, it's great. If it doesn't, they're going to change it. They, 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 they are no see, there's no secret behind what Apple does. They'll fix it if they need to fix it. I just think when people talk about a drew, I don't think it's properly being discussed and labeled and outlaw outlined exactly what's being provided. Cause you do not need Apple TV plus to watch MLS content every week because you got MLS 360 and you've got four to five games every single week. That's more than you got from ESPN plus. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you brought all of that stuff up because you know, that, that is kind of the narrative out there. And honestly, the, the price point of $15 a month is pretty in line with what you'd expect to pay for, for other similar services. Some of these RSNs. Especially that if are you already pretty... have Apple TV Plus, right? If you already yeah. have Apple TV Plus, it's cheaper than what it is if you don't have it. So it, they'll figure it out. That's the exciting part about this. And I want your listeners to understand Apple's as open minded to change as anything. And you would think for one of the top three companies in the world that they would be extremely stubborn. They are on their branding and marketing and certain things but on providing the right content and the right coverage of Major League Soccer, they are as open-minded as I've ever ever seen. I'd like to get uh, Adam in here because I know he had some questions about the, the studio coverage. Yeah, so, I mean, I think you kind of, with a perfect lead in there, you're talking about how Apple's kind of open to evolving uh, the coverage as you know they dip their toes in the water, so to speak. What kind of changes have you seen already in the first couple of weeks? Because as somebody who's you know watching MLS, who's been an MLS fan for you know basically grew up in this new era of MLS where it was cool to watch games and you had soccer specific stadiums, 
what kind of changes have you seen on your side from you know Apple just in the first couple of weeks? Yeah, it's a good question, Adam. Uh, after week one, you know, the MLS 360 show, they looked at it, assessed it, saw they wanted, you know, fans wanted more highlights, wanted more game calls from the announcers, very similar to the red zone. Um, and they tried, they did it. They're doing it continuously. Um, and I think that's only going to grow. I think people need to understand you got to be extremely patient. I think early on, I'm not saying for three, four years here, but I think for maybe a couple months and just letting that group understand where their lane is and not trying to build the Rome and, and, and get in front of their skis in, in three or four weeks. I think 360 has been better with the highlights, better with game calls from the announcers there. I think that's a, a first change. Um, I think certain audio on game calls, uh, they've, they've, they've looked at it. They're assessing that it's difficult. You know, what people don't understand it's 28 games. It's 14 games with English and Spanish for both. That's 28 shows. And some of them have French calls. So now you're looking at three different game calls for that one said game, right? So you've got to do a lot. And they've only been at this for almost six months, right? So they had to build all of this in six months. So there's a lot of internal, hey, we want to go zero to 100. But I think a lot of people are trying to be, you know, hey, let's just change, let's incremental changes to try to build it. But the, the most important thing is, is I think week one, everyone watched MLS 360, saw the potential. And then in week two and week three, you saw already they did 20 to 30% more highlights and more live action game calls than what they did in week one. And that tells you that Apple listened to the MLS fan and the MLS experience. And I think also going back off what you said earlier, talking about the subscription price, you know, Apple kind of amending it. I think MLS 360 is now available in front of the paywall as well. Um, but you mentioned a lot about just getting more content than MLS fan has ever had access to. And for me, one of the things that's super exciting about this deal is you're working with Apple, you know, a company that's known for putting out award-winning TV shows, movies, obviously Ted Lasso. But in this era where you have Welcome to Wrexham getting great numbers on FX and um, you have NFL films being a huge property of the NFL uh, league that you mentioned kind of is almost immune to the RSN problem. You know, what, what are you excited for as far as like the storytelling, the basically bonus content, I guess, outside of the games, as far as this deal with Apple goes? Well, if I'm not mistaken, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the, you know, the Netflix series F1, what is it? Drive to survive, right? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, major league soccer, announced that they had come to an agreement with the director of that show or the directors or whatever it may be. And your listeners may need to research that to correct me exactly what that message was. So right there, Apple's telling you they want to provide more content. They want to provide different content. You know, the difficult part for MLS throughout the years is you just wanted any time slot that you could get on ESPN or ABC Fox and NBC or all the other linear networks, right? And so you took the two hours. 
This difference is you can do features, Adam. You can do storytelling. You can provide content to tell this great story of this league of now 27 plus years. Like that's different. That's never been around. You didn't have the time to do that. And so that's where this is going to get interesting is where the creative side of Apple pushes Major League Soccer and MLS now has the resources to tell their stories of their franchises and their supporter groups. That's only going to build the narrative around the league. They haven't had the opportunity to do so. They haven't had the platform to do so. And so now they're going to do that. You're obviously not going to do that before you get your legs under you and you get all the weekly processes under your belt, so to speak, and say, all right, now we've built this thing. Now that thing's going, okay, now we can step out of that because that's in its set comfort zone. We don't have to worry about the games getting on air and getting through that technology stuff. Now let's see what can we create on the outside that, Adam, I think is the most important part of this relationship. Let's talk a little bit about the situation with soccer broadly, right? We're coming off of a World Cup in Qatar. You know, it was very controversial, but at least as far as viewership goes, it was a very, it did very well. I think people were very surprised by how well it did. And we're coming up on a milestone moment for soccer, which is the World Cup in 2026, the Men's World Cup in 2026. This kind of long-term process you're talking about with Apple and MLS, how does that 2026 World Cup fit into that long-term plan? Well, Apple just wants to be a part of it. They, they, they want to be a massive part of where this league is when that World Cup comes here in 2026 in Canada, Mexico, and the United States. So, John, they, he, Eddie Q said this best in the opening press conference is – Apple wants to be on the rocket ship to the moon and on the rocket ship to the moon for them is the world cup in 2026 coming here and Apple being the driver of major league soccer. So when all of those fans around the world, which by the way, will have seen or have the access to watch major league soccer on Apple TV in over 105 countries, they then can be part of that storytelling. They, they can be part of that platform. And so that's where I think ultimately got that was the hook, line, and sinker on Apple saying, no, 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 that this is something interesting. We want to be part of that. And honestly, John, it's very difficult for me to quantify how important that World Cup is uh, for the growth of soccer and where it's going to be. We saw what 94 did. This is exponentially different with the amount of stadiums, training facilities, but more so the exposure to the sport. All four of us on this podcast, we can watch any game in the world right now. Eight years ago, that wasn't even the case. So now the World Cup comes here with that excitement, that growth, and with the younger generation being more intrigued by the sport of soccer versus baseball, hockey, and some of the other sports. Uh, I think that's why Apple was like, yeah, I want to do this, and we want to do this for 10 years because we want – excuse me, we want to be a part – of that growth, I think that's going to be an exciting time. Do you think, uh, I'll let Drew and, and Adam get in here in, in a moment, but do you think there's been so much talk from MLS fans about maybe trying to catch the National Hockey League, you know, and be part of that big four? Do you see down the line, by the end of this rights deal, based on 
what Apple is trying to do and based on the potential success of that 2026 World Cup, do you see in the medium term the NHL maybe having to look behind its uh, shoulder at MLS catching up to it? Or do you think it's still maybe a further down the line possibility? I find it interesting that you say the NHL. Um, I think it's more Major League Baseball. Uh, if the schedule of Major League Soccer is going to be played in the summer, listen, you can look at the local metrics of Major League Baseball. There are some Major League Soccer teams right now that are already past that Major League Baseball team. And it's not even debatable. That's a factual statement. Now, the World Series will always do a certain number, John, and Drew and Adam. It will always do a certain number. So will the Stanley Cup. But this conversation of Big Four, I just find very interesting. I, I, I find it interesting because on some level, I think it's disingenuous of soccer media and soccer fans to say, well, it's past the NHL, it's past Major League Baseball. Hold on here. The World Series does over 9 million people, guys, and the Stanley Cup does a real number. But as a whole, local interest, uh, uh, the daily Major League Baseball local rating versus the MLS. I mean, guys, our games on ESPN would outrate some of the baseball games that were on Sunday Night Baseball or Wednesday Night Baseball. I'm not making that number up. That's that. That's what it was. The generation right now, 12 to 18-year-olds, you tell me what their favorite sport is. You tell me what they're more interested in. They play FIFA. They watch the Premier League. They watch the World Cup. They go to MLS teams, the games. Like, it's not some outlandish thing to say that – for the last 30 years, yeah, it's been exhausting when people say soccer is the sport of the future. You're like, okay, at some point that's got to come to fruition. I don't think it's outlandish to say, I actually think you're at the precipice. Now, the World Series is still going to do $9 million, John. It just is. The Stanley Cup is still going to do a real big number if it's two American cities. It just is. That's no, Why is that just the barometer? Because if that's just a barometer, well, guess what, guys? The World Cup outdid all of that. So if you guys in the media world and in the ratings world are going to just use those big moments, well, then I'm going to start using the Women's World Cup and the Men's World Cup, and then the World Series and NHL doesn't have anything. I think it's got to be more nuanced conversation, but I think the conversation of Big Four is disingenuous. The Premier League ratings, Liga MX ratings, which are better than the Premier League, are better than 65 to 70% of any Major League Baseball team. And yet we go, well, it's the big four. Why is that? I don't get that. I'm not saying it has to be the big five and it's just MLS. That's not what I'm saying. But soccer, it's already in the conversation, the big four. And anyone that tries to tell me otherwise, well, you're not paying attention. The World Cup during college football and the NFL just blew doors away and everyone's expectations away. And people are still telling me, well, yeah, it's not part of the big four. Look at what the Stanley Cup does. I'm like, okay, you know what I'm saying, guys? I'm not a soccer apologist. I never will be. But I'm also going to defend soccer when it's it's not being represented with the same energy that Major League Baseball and the NHL are. I just, I don't understand why that is. 
and I find that hard to believe. I don't get it. I was just going to say, do you think in terms of, you mentioned the World Cup, you could make the argument, well, gymnastics every four years gets 20, 30 million, figure skating every four years, swimming every four years in the Olympics. Do you think that the World Cup kind of stands on its own? I know you mentioned League MS. Yes. You know, so you think that ultimately, is it maybe closer to those other sports that are big every four years? than to say the well, it, it, the the women's world cup so there's a there's a there's a women's world cup and a men's world cup as you guys rightfully know so it's not every four years right you're I'm only sorry. going two years without a big right. soccer event uh and then you throw in the european championship and which is the euros then you throw in copa america see what i'm saying john so yeah. then i can give you the gold cup the gold cup still does well so like I, I, I get what people are trying to say, but there's always, always, always an apology for soccer. There always is. When Arsenal and, and Liverpool will do over a million people on NBC, why is that treated differently than what the Penguins and the Capitals did on ABC? Why? Why? It's the same number. It's not any other number. It's the same number. I'm not making numbers up. Like, it's the same number. But then people talk about soccer. And they go, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's a one-off thing. No, 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 it's not. Gymnastics doesn't do what soccer does on the weekly basis. That's a fact, not an opinion. Figure skating doesn't do that. So that, that's all I'm asking, John, is I'm, I'm not saying the numbers weekly are massive. But to say soccer only comes every four years when Liga Emekis is doing over a million people every week, people go, yeah, but that's, that's Spanish television. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's still part of the soccer demographic. And then the English side, see what I'm saying, dude? That, that's, that's where I get frustrated, and I, I don't understand why it's not more nuanced. Why is it still always put in a category of, well, it, it's soccer. It's soccer. There's, there's a league in every country in the world, guys. There are different fans. There's different fans. There's different viewers. Why is that collectively not put together? Because if it's collectively put together, then with all due respect, Major League Baseball isn't anywhere near the soccer viewership then. Uh, I'd love to take an opportunity to you know, step away from some of the harder media questions and maybe look more towards uh, the national team situation here as it's a pretty, pretty interesting time over at USSF. We talked about the importance of the World Cup in 2026 for American soccer. They just had Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride depart the, uh, the federation. They need to appoint a sporting director and then a new head coach. Um, without necessarily like naming names or anything, what do you think we need to see out of those hires as American soccer fans for the federation to kind of take their step, next step, and uh, grow the game? That's a I, that's such a nuanced uh, question. It's a good one. It's a difficult one because I'm not going to be able to answer that in about 45 seconds. Yeah. The truth of the matter is, U.S. soccer has been in a a weird place. The millions and millions of dollars that have been spent on legal situations and um, 
investigations, you know, as recently as the Giovanni Reyna and Greg Berhalter situation. Um, it, it's a frustrating one. I think the U.S. soccer fan, rightfully so, is questioning the direction of the federation. I I understand all of that. Like, we're we're at a time on the precipice of hosting the second World Cup in our history, and yet we're three years away, and we don't have a sporting director, and we don't have a head coach. Do you so, think like I, I I go ahead. Yeah, I was saying like we there's a couple of big competitions coming up this summer for for the national team, and you know, given the timeline laid out by the federation, it's unlikely that they'll have a permanent head coach. Is that something that's going to put them behind the eight ball for 2026? Uh, you and I don't know if they're not going to have a coach for this summer. They may have a coach, right? I think sporting director at that point is probably more important um, because they're in charge of the direction of the all, all the programs, which is very important, obviously, with the younger generation being very talented and coming through now. Um, it, it's an interesting one. I, I just think you need to have a direction. You need to have an idea of where you want to go. And I'm on the record of saying I would shoot for the moon. Uh, I would go big personality, big name, uh, exhaust that because you've got this real good generation of player uh, that is going to have a lot of pressure on them. And so if you have a bigger name and a bigger I think personality that takes the pressure off the player. I think that's important and, and we'll see, but this is uh, also with a lot of pressure comes privilege. And so I, I just, I wish I was 25 years old, uh, 29 years old uh, being a part of this. I'd give anything to be a part of this. And quite honestly, if I didn't love what I do now, I would do anything to be a part and help that thing get to the next level. You get very few opportunities like this in a lifetime. And I just hope the U.S. Soccer Federation understands that and maximizes it. Well, that kind of leads into my my next question for you. Um, of course, you're you're doing the MLS stuff with Apple. I think you've been on the record saying you would love to in the future, or you would be open to calling national team games again. Is that something that Apple would be open to allowing you to do for, for linear television properties? Uh, we've talked about it. Um, so we, uh, I think Major League Soccer, Apple and I all agreed, but let, let's just take care of one thing at a time, right? Which is get this thing off the ground and, and, and see where I fit in within the, uh, you know, MLS project with Apple. Uh, but yes, I, absolutely. That conversation has been had and um, I hope it's part of my future. Uh, I would love for it to be part of my future. Um, and it can be in many different roles. The one thing that I took a lot of pride in and how ESPN helped me learn uh, was do multiple roles. You know, I was hosting SportsCenter and hosting other all sports shows at ESPN the last four or five years. And I enjoyed that because you get to see the different side of television in different roles. So yes, absolutely. I hope that's part of my future. Um, I'll be shocked if it's not, but I'm also not trying to do 10 things at once right now. And so we'll, we'll see where the chips fall down the future. I was actually uh, going to ask you about that. Um, so appreciate Drew serving me, uh, serving that up to me. Um, but 
when it was rumored that, you know, oh, you know, you might be going to Apple. And I think one of the things that, you know, at least I thought about was, well, in the last four to five years, you've been branching out and doing non-soccer specific related activities, whether that's sports centers, appearing on other shows. So I guess for your, you know, personal growth for your career, you know, maybe take us through how you kind of decided I, this is the time for me to focus on soccer with 2026 coming up or maybe even, you know, going further down the line. Is that something you want to come back to or are you kind of settled into I'm going to be more of a soccer specific personality? Yeah, it, it's first off, it's my passion. It's my love. Right. And so when you go through life, we all do this, no matter what your profession is or, or quite honestly, what your passion is. Um, the way things unfolded over the last 12 to 16 months, I was presented the opportunity to get out of soccer. And when push came to shove, I just, I, I couldn't do it. Right. That doesn't mean I'm not going to do other things down the road in other sports. I will. Uh, I like it. Anyone that knows me knows how much of a sports junkie I am and how much I love all the American sports leagues. And so yeah, that's part of it. One of my goals when I took that job at ESPN 13 and a half years ago was to get soccer into the conversation. And I think we did that. You know, I, I think uh, just my ability to relate Major League Soccer, U.S. Soccer, the European Championships, the World Cup to other sports and with other people that weren't soccer fans, that was very valuable and it made it fun. I I am not one of those soccer people. I don't care if you talk the game and you screw up and you say something different. I don't care. I just want you to talk about it. I just want you to enjoy it. I want you to be critical. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to have fun with it. I don't care if you know the lingo. I don't care if you know the right language. I don't give a rat's ass. I, none of that bothers me. You need to talk about it. And as John asked me about the, the big four, that honestly, that, that, this conversation comes full circle. I just wanted soccer to be talked about more. I wanted it to be part of the vernacular. And we did a lot of things at ESPN in those 13 years that hadn't been done before. And that's just because people were open-minded, but also, Adam, I can talk baseball. I play baseball at a high level. I thought I could play basketball until I realized, no, I'm and when I start playing basketball at a real level, I needed to get off the basketball court, but I kicked for the football team. Like, and I play golf regularly. So I could talk it and relate it. And so, yeah, I'll do that down the road. But at this present moment, I was asked, what do you want to do? And I was like, there's zero chance I'm giving up being part of the soccer project and being part of the MLS project with Apple. So right now that is what my job is. I'll just 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 ask uh, just on a personal level, we all know what what life is like for public figures in this era of social media, and I'm sure you have dealt with your fair share of social media criticism. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with the kind of you know the onslaught that can happen if you say something controversial or, or things of that nature? Or you post a picture. John, I like how polite, <laughs> I just like how politely you put that. Um, John, the moment I open my mouth, there's an onslaught about something, buddy. So <laughs> it's not on the occasion. It just is. Um, it's never bothered me 
Um, and here's what I, actually I shouldn't say that. There's one instance that really bothered me, and there was a personal attack in my small group of family um, during the 2012 Euros that really scared the shit out of me. And I Disney security got involved. Uh, death threats, all because I said the English right back uh, wasn't good enough at that level. And then two years later, the concussion heading law for people under the age of 12 to get death threats on that. Those are two instances on social media. I'll never forget for the, for the rest of my life. Um, the fact that I needed to call authorities to figure out how to handle it. That's where you're like, you know what? That puts it in perspective. Like what really is social media? And I use this analogy. It's the truck stop bathroom wall. 98% of the time. It, it just is. You look at it. You read it. But if you call the number, good luck, buddy. <laughs> if you call the phone number on the truck stop bathroom wall, good luck because you have no idea what's coming. I, I don't know, man. I, I'm at the mindset now. Um, I don't want anyone in my family to be exposed to it. I think it's really, really bad for the mental health. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. However, that 2% that I didn't talk about, I think there's news there. I, I think breaking news has always been very interesting in this world. And I think Twitter and social media change that and how we get that information. And so that's if we lose that, what's the next median? And I'll tell you one thing, man, it, it is a viral thing that I don't know what's the point of that because 95% of the people that say shit about me will literally be the same people that ask for a selfie if I see them in person. And so then I'm like, well, what's the point of this? I don't have any problem with criticism. It's no different than being a player. I loved being booed, loved it. It was my favorite thing in the world. It's that's the same thing. But like some of the things that are being said on social media, you're sitting there going, what's the point of that? Like you really have the energy to write that. Guys, look at what we're talking about. You got, we're, we're all talking less than 24 hours after the Nashville shooting at that grade school. And go on Twitter and Instagram and read the comments. And you tell me social media is in a good place. Like the, the ability to have social discourse, I love, I've learned more when someone disagreed with me in my life. But nowadays, that's gone. That's gone. It's either it's a black or white issue. It's yes or no. You can't have social discourse. You can't have constructive criticism. You can't have a disagreement. It is so viral. I think it's ruined the ability for people to communicate, John. And so that's where I think that that's the real frustrating part from my perspective. I don't care. You can tell me I'm an idiot. I don't have an English accent. So when I do the European championships, I'm not an idiot. I know everybody's like, oh, who is this idiot? He's, this, he's an American. I can't believe he's calling the final. Meanwhile, the play-by-play -play next to me that's English and has done it for 35 years looks right at me and says, keep going. Like, you're good at this. You're, you actually can do this for a living. You see what I'm saying? So my bosses would have told me at ESPN, you're shit if I was. They're not going to put me on there if I was not doing my job. So that's social discourse on, on, on social media. I, 
fine. I don't care. That doesn't bother me. But guys, the arguments we're having about gun laws right now, you you guys tell me the why we what's the point of social media on that? Yeah, very interesting, very good points, and certainly a very toxic space, social media, uh, that is uh, without dispute. Um, I think maybe we have one more minute. So if Drew or Adam wanted to just ask one quick question, and then we'll let you go. Uh, if you want to end on a lighter note, I got a good one here, Taylor. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> you, you noted that, um, you know, you, you're an avid golfer, uh, known to hit the links at times. Mm-hmm. Got the Masters coming up here in a couple of weeks. Do you have a favorite to slip on the green jacket? That's a great one. I'm also a degenerate gambler. Um, <laughs> I think, and I don't know why, and I can't believe I'm going to say this. There's a small, small part of me that thinks Rory McIlroy gets it done this year. And everyone is going to say, oh, yeah, you're picking one of the top three golfers in the world. Anyone that's followed golf knows that that's a huge that, – that's an interesting take because Roy, for whatever reason, has a lot of skeletons in the closet when he shows up at Augusta, Georgia. And it's the one piece that he wants more than anything. There's a small part of me that believes he gets it done this year. So bet That'd the house be- on it, yeah? <laughs> no, no. That's why I said Adam. That's why I said small, small piece. <laughs> well, you know he's got the new driver, new putter in the bag last week. Looked good, so I'm I'm hoping that happens myself too. It would be Adam, awesome you have if it, it does. Yeah, you have one quick one for Taylor. No, man. I think uh, you know it's really great talking to you, Taylor, and uh, you know. It's great to see on a more personal note, somebody as excited about the future of MLS and American soccer as I am, Um, you know, so the days of me trying to convince friends to watch MLS games with me are slowly coming to an end. So it's, you know, it's great to see that. And obviously, you know, you're a big part of that. So I appreciate all the work you've done in the past and, you know, keep on trucking. No, and I appreciate you guys and your coverage of, uh, of everything in sports. I, it's an important – I've followed you guys for a while and I'm just intrigued by it. I think it's well-informed, and um, I think constructive criticism from people like you guys is still very, very valuable in this business, so continue to do so. Hey, thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, MLS on Apple TV Plus, it's every Saturday and I think some Wednesdays and Sundays mixed in as well. So uh, people will have the opportunity to watch you and everybody else at Apple all season long. Uh, Thanks again for joining us. Thanks a lot, Taylor. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks, boys. That was fun. Thank you. So Taylor Twellman, very passionate about the state of soccer in this country. It was a fun conversation. And uh, that will do it for this week. Next week, we'll talk about the NCAA Final Four ratings on the men's and women's side. Uh, the national championship will have been uh, completed by that point as well. So a uh, lot to talk about next week. Hope you enjoyed this week's podcast and uh, have a great week ahead. Don't forget, by the way, because I almost did. If you have not already, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Apple, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts, the Sports Media Watch podcast feed is available and please do subscribe. Now I can say we'll see you next week.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Having a versatile, high-quality piece of clothing feels great. But having a whole closet full of favorites feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code S-T-A-P-L-E, 2-0.